Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. It's so good to be here. Um, been out a couple weeks because my wife gave birth to her first child, a daughter, and she'll be three weeks old tomorrow, and she's just the greatest thing that's ever existed. Um, a lot of fun, not a lot of sleep, but a lot of fun, and my parents are actually here this weekend to meet their newest grandchild, and they're here in the service with us, so um, it's great to be here. We spent two days in the hospital, just normal, no really big reason why, but that just kind of, they wanted to keep us in. But you can ask my wife, like the whole time I was saying, I can't wait to go home. <laughs> like, this is great, but this couch isn't so comfortable, the food's okay, but I just want to go back to my home. And even now, when I'm, when I'm now back at work, uh, when I show up at home at the end of the day, I love coming home. I mean, I always did, but Walking into the door with my newborn baby, just a, a new excitement, just fills my heart, and man, it's just the greatest thing to go back home. That word home, that's an important word in our vocabulary. I, I've heard it said that home, in any language, it's the most important word in that language. It's the most beautiful, most powerful, I mean, just the motions that are connected with that word that conjures up in your heart when you think of home. I mean, especially when you think of the holiday seasons, you think about Christmas, who's going to go home, who's going to come home for Christmas, and there's a song about it, right? I'll be home for Christmas. We sing about this. We sing about things that are important. Um, both of my brothers, they're in the military, and they've both been deployed to Afghanistan and I'll tell you that the one thing you're praying for is for God to protect them so they can come back home. Home. Coming back home, that's, we're going to see that in our Bible story today in Ezra chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. It's about a small group of Jewish exiles who, after many, many years living in a foreign country called Babylon, are preparing to go home. And from this Bible story, here's the big idea I want us, to, want us to take away. No matter the obstacle, God's hand will guide his church home. No matter the obstacle, God's hand will guide his church home. I use the word church intentionally here, instead of you, even though it's true to say God will guide you home. But for this sermon, I want us to think about ourselves as part of the people of God, as a, cor a corporate entity, as, as the church of God. So Ezra chapter 8, it's the year 458 BC, and these Jewish exiles, they're camped along this river called the Ahava River, there are 12 family heads, and registered under each head is about 1,500 men, which the total would be, if you include women and children, 5,000 people. 
This group is led by Ezra. We learned about Ezra a little bit last week. He is a scribe. He is a priest. He studies the word of God. He plans to lead this group on a four-month journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. And the reason for them to return is to restore true worship, to get back to God's land and back to the temple, and to establish the law of God, which you may know it as the Torah. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. To restore that as the law of the land. And this journey will have obstacles. This journey will have many risks because the Jewish people, they have many enemies. Returning to the land. That's a funny way of putting it for this group of exiles because they've never been there. They all were born and raised in the land of Babylon. But they were raised in their faith. They were raised in the faith of their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so growing up, they would have been taught the scriptures. They would have heard about the story of Adam and Eve. God created the world, and he put Adam and Eve in this garden, the Garden of Eden, and their role was to serve God and worship him and be fruitful, multiply, and fill the world full of worshipers. And they had a relationship with God that they broke. They sinned, they disobeyed, and the Bible tells us that through Adam's transgression, sin entered the world. And God told them on the day that you eat the fruit, the day you disobey, you will die. And that's what happened. God drove them out of the Garden of Eden, and sin and death came into the world And because God placed a curse upon the world. They would also have heard of the story of Abraham, how God called Abraham and made a covenant with him, a, a relationship with Abraham, and said, I will bless you. I will make a nation out of you. That's the nation of Israel. I will give you the land of Canaan. And, and through your offspring, I will bless the Gentile world, all the nations of the earth. They would have heard of how God brought the nation of Israel when they were enslaved in Egypt, out of Egypt, out of the bondage of slavery, through a leader named Moses. God revealed himself to Moses as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, and, and God rescued Israel and brought them to Mount Sinai. And there, on this mountain, God entered a covenant relationship with Israel. And Israel promised the to the Lord that they would be faithful to him. They wouldn't worship any other God. Just think of the Ten Commandments. No other gods before me. They wouldn't make idols of him. They would love their neighbor as yourself. They would serve others. And their ancestors knew that if they broke this covenant with the Lord, then God would bring a curse upon them. And God would drive them out of the land of Israel into a foreign land. Just like he drove Adam and Eve out of the garden. This is what happened. They did disobey God. They broke that covenant. They worshiped false gods. They sinned against their neighbor. So you know the two, the two great commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. They did not do that. And so God did exactly what he promised. He's, curses came upon them. You can read that in Deuteronomy 
28 through 30, and drove them out of the land. But God promised to bring them back out of exile. The return from exile. And that would be in two stages. The first would be to get the people of God back to Israel. People of God back to the land of Israel. And the second stage would get the people back to God himself. To restore worship. To restore that broken covenant that they broke many, many years before. And that was Ezra's goal. To get the people back to Israel, back to Jerusalem, back into the temple, and restore that worship with the Lord. So let's get back to where we left Ezra. Ezra chapter 8. He's there by that river with 5,000 other Jews, and they're preparing for their four-month-long journey. I want to briefly just highlight something from verses 1 through 14. Our main focus will be uh, verses 15 to the end of the chapter, but Notice there that there's a bunch of lists of names. Those are the names of the people that journeyed with Ezra. They're real people. We have their names recorded. Uh, verse 2, I want to highlight some important names here. You see Phineas and Ithamar. Phineas and Ithamar, that's the priestly line. So in order to worship God, you need priests at the temple. And God has preserved them through the exile you see the other name there, Hattush, he's the son of David, he's from the Davidic line, that's the royal line. That's important, because who comes from David's line? Jesus, the Messiah. And Ezra, and all the faithful people of God, they're anticipating the son of David, Jesus, to come, and to get rid of sin, and to bring in the kingdom of God. So God is working even in the midst of this group to Keep his promise to bless the nations. Now, let's turn to verses 15 through 36. Well, we will spend the rest of our time together. And you will see how Ezra runs into two obstacles. Two obstacles, and we'll look at both and how God responds and guides Ezra to overcome them. So the first obstacle, it's in verses 15 through 20. That's the lack of Levites. Ezra cannot find any Levites among the people that are with him. It says there in verse 15, look there with me. I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava, and there we camped three days. As I reviewed the people and the priests, I found there none of the sons of Levi. So like a good leader, Ezra's taking attendance, right? He's going through the list of people and making sure everyone's there. You know, you got, you got the Davidic line there. You got the, some priests there. Um, there's no Levites. What's the, what's the big deal about Levites, huh? Um, well, all priests were Levites. Not all Levites were priests. But God has dedicated that tribe, the Levites, to be in charge of the worship at the temple. So if you... Were a Levite a male, it would be a male from the ages of 30 to 50, you would assist the priests with the worship of tabernacle and the temple. So you had a very important role that not just any person could do. It had to be from the tribe of Levi. No one showed up. You can't worship correctly if you don't have the right people. So what does Ezra do? Well, he takes action. He sends a group of people to this leader. His name is Ido. And he tells them to send me some Levites. 
Ezra's goal, remember, is to restore true worship at the temple. He takes God's word seriously. He's not going to cut corners. He's not going to just say, all right, this guy can do it because we don't have the Levites. He's going to do it right. It's very important. So he sends for Levites, and they come. Check out verses 18 through 20 with me. Ezra says this. And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, son of Israel, namely Sherebiah with his sons and kinsmen. Also, 18, there's 18 of them. Also, Heshabiah, and with him, Jeshiah of the sons of Merari with his kinsmen and their sons. 20. Besides 220 of the temple servants whom David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites. These were all mentioned by names. Lots of names, some numbers there. It's detailed recording, right? That's important. That's detailed. That really happened. God brought them Levites. It's not the most amazing miracle, right? But God's providential hand, he says, God's hand was on us. And the result of that was the Levites. 38 Levites and 220 temple servants. So Ezra ran into an obstacle that prevented the people of God from worshiping God. He didn't cut corners. He didn't cheat the system. He didn't just give up and say we can't go. No, he took action. He trusted God, and he knew what to do, and he did it. And God honored his faithfulness, and God's gracious hand was with his people by the Ahava River. The second obstacle they run into the dangers of the journey. We'll see that in verses 21 through 36. Ezra, like a good leader, is concerned for the safety of the people he is in charge of. He says in Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 through 23, I proclaim the fast by the Ahava River so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us, our dependence and all our possessions. I did this because I was ashamed to ask the king for infantry and cavalry to protect us from enemies during the journey, since we had told him, the hand of our God is gracious to all who seek him, but his fierce anger is against all who abandon him. So we fasted and pleaded with our God about this, and he was receptive to our prayer. So Ezra told the king, we're trusting God, trusting God, and he's going to take care of us. Ezra felt like if he got Artaxerxes' aid, then he would be abandoning God. That's how he felt. And so he said, we don't, we don't need that. God's going to take care of us. And what did he do? He got the people together, and they fasted, and they prayed, and God heard their prayer. In verse 31 and 32, it says, Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem, and there we remained three days. That's the third time we've seen that phrase, the hand of our God was on us. If you're a good reader of scripture, you know if it's repeated more than once, they're trying to emphasize something important. 
again, it's not the most amazing miracle you'll ever read, but it is God's providential hand caring for his people. They prayed for protection and they were protected. How many times does that happen in our prayer life when we pray for something like God protect our travels, God protect, make, make this go well, and it was uneventful, and that's a good thing. <laughs> that's a good thing. That's God's providential hand, and we should give God praise for that. So Ezra, he ran into an obstacle that would inhibit God's people from getting to the temple to worship. And through prayer and fasting, God, his hand guided them all the way home and protected them. So let me ask you this. How's your prayer life? When was the last time you fasted and prayed for God to do something? What do you pray for? Do you ever pray for the success of the church? Do you ever pray that God would protect this church from all the enemies from the outside and from the inside? There's a group of people from this church, and we meet on the first Wednesday of every month in this room here at 6.30 p.m., and we pray for the church. That's why we gather. We want to gather as a people it's great, yeah, pray individually at your home. There's something special when you pray together as a body of Christ. And I invite you to come. Come and check it out. Just come and see what it's like. Um, it's a small group of us, and it's, and it's just a wonderful time. We sing some songs together, and we, and we pray. It's different than a Sunday morning service. It's not the same at all. It's us together praying for the church. Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. No enemy can stop God's church from growing. If you believe that, I say come on that first Wednesday of every, every month and pray with us. All right, finally, they arrive in Jerusalem, and they worship. Ezra, let's look at verses 35 and 36 here, these last two verses. At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and as a sin offering, 12 male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps and to the governors of the province beyond the river, and they aided the people in the house of God. Worship was different back then, huh? They killed a lot of animals. Um, the numbers are, are significant. Twelve, it says, it says um, 12 bulls for all Israel because there's 12 tribes, right? Um, man, what a joy that would have been for Ezra and that group to come back to the temple. I mean, they grew up in Babylon. They know the scriptures. They know about this temple that they heard about. And that's where you worship God. And they're finally there. They're standing in the holy city with the holy people, worshiping the holy God. He has everything right. He has the right people, right? He's got the Levites. He's in the right place. He's worshiping according to scripture. What's left to do? Well, there's a lot left to do. I mean, we got the rest of the Old Testament, the rest of the New Testament after Ezra. But the most important thing is for the Messiah, the Son of God, 
to come to earth, to get rid of sin, to bring in the kingdom of God. And Ezra is anticipating that. 500 years after the time of Ezra, Jesus will come and fulfill all the promises. All right, so I think we have a good idea of Ezra chapter 8. What does that mean for us today as a church? What does that mean for us? All right, three, three things for us to think about. So we're going through a series, right, on being the house, building God's house. So here are three things to consider as we think about being God's house. First, what's your role? Think back on Ezra when he couldn't find the Levites. They didn't show up. We don't know why. It doesn't really say why, but they just weren't there. And they could not worship without them. You mean you can't be the house if no one shows up, right? You can't be the house if no one's present. Well, we as a church, we can't worship God without the people of God. We can't do the work of the ministry without the people fulfilling their roles. And there's no special class of Christians that they do the worship on Sunday and everyone else they can or aren't supposed to. It's not like we have a priesthood. It's not like the staff is, you know, the priests. No, no, that's not what, how it works because I think this is a really cool insight. We're all priests. It's called the priesthood of all believers. If you're in Christ, God has made you a priest. Does that sound strange? Let me show you where I get that from. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. This is a, a hymn being sung worshiping the Lamb of God, and it says this. Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Through the blood of Christ he has made you priest. He has taken you from darkness and brought you into light. You were once a slave to sin and, and following your worldly passions, but because of the blood of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, when you believe the gospel, he made you a kingdom of priests. You see, in the first creation, God first created the world, then he put the people in it. But for the new creation, he's making the people first. And then he'll make the creation. All right, so what's your role? Well, first I would say, let's, start, let's just start with our attitude. Let's have a Christ-like attitude. Every Sunday you show up, let's have a Christ-like attitude. That would be, who can I serve today? Who can I bless today? I'm, I promise you, if your mentality when you show up on a Sunday morning, is I'm going, to, I'm going to bless one person today. That's going to revolutionize your worship experience. It might be small, like, hey, happy birthday. It might be big. Maybe you're giving a word of encouragement because you're spiritually gifted that way. You're praying with someone in the corner, or, or you're just friendly and you're welcoming new people. We all have a role to play. And there's other things that we're doing. I mean, we're, we've got welcome team. Joe's heading that up. We've got Delray Kids. Worship, we've got all kinds of places that we could plug you in and serve. So I say consider and pray what your role is here. And reach out to us, let us know, and we'll get you plugged in.
All right, so what's your role? Second, what are the risks? What are the risks of being the house? Remember, Ezra faced some risks, some obstacles as he was traveling. The people of God have, have always faced risks. Just read church history. The church has been persecuted from outside. There's also issues that churches have gone through from the inside. I mean, false teaching can happen. Just division, maybe someone's just divisive. That can split a church. Immorality can be rampant. There are, there are risks, but God has promised to never leave nor forsake us. Jesus has said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So we have confidence that no matter the risk, the church of God will continue. You might be thinking, okay, I think me personally, though, I have some issues. I'm dealing with something. I, you know, I'm dealing with this struggle, this, 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 this sin issue. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's just uh, some things aren't going right with you. Maybe it's a relationship problem. You're thinking, I feel like I'm the obstacle. I feel like I'm the risk. Well, let me just try to comfort you here and say, you need the church more than ever. You need the, more, the church more than you can imagine because God uses the church to grow and strengthen the weak, the weak brother, the weak sister. Right? It's no time to be out there on your own. I say the, it's no time to be a lone sheep Christian. It's not a lone wolf because wolf in the Bible is not very good. There's wolf. Lone sheep Christian, you can't do that. Um, there's no book in the Bible where Paul says something like, all right, this letter to the churches in Galatia and Kyle who lives next door, never come to church, right? That's not how it works. The, the, the people are gathering and they're hearing the word of God together. So we need the church. So we must be in prayer and we must be in fasting together and preparing for the risks. Lastly, what are the rewards? So roles, we're thinking about that. Risks, what's the reward of being the house? Well, what did Ezra do? when they got back to Jerusalem. They worshiped. That's the reward. Worshiping God for all eternity. You like that answer? Is that a good answer? I think when people think of heaven, they think you're floating on a cloud and you're playing a harp, you know, and it's like, it's a weird place. No, that's not what it's like. It's going to be way better than that. Worship is the reward and that should excite us. I help out with Delray Del Kids some, and we were singing a song a few weeks ago called uh, At Your Name, and there's a line in the song that says, we love to shout your name, O Lord. And I was trying to explain to them what that means so they kind of know what they're singing. And that's kind of a weird thing to say, I love to shout your name. And uh, Sean Fitzpatrick, he's here actually, he plays baseball, and so I was trying to explain it like this. When someone on your team gets a base hit, what does the crowd do? They cheer, right? They go, yeah, that's awesome. They see something great, and they just can't help but, like, celebrate that. That's what worship should be like. We're seeing God do awesome things. We're experiencing worship with the people of God. We should be excited, and that should be um, enough for us. So through our struggles, through these obstacles, we've got to fight 
for great worship. Maybe that looks like preparing the night before mentally. You know, maybe you're going to bed a little earlier. Maybe you're putting your phone to bed early. Um, and you're just getting ready for the, for the next day. Hey, you should know what's, what chapter we're preaching through because we're going through Ezra. Next week will be chapter 9. Read that the night before. Kind of get familiar with the passage. Just get, let's get our head right to have a great worship experience. So let me just end with the story of Jesus. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and they're talking about worship, so I think this fits really well where I'm going. John chapter 4, verses 21 through 26. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes... He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. It's one of the clearest moments in Jesus' life where he says, I'm the Messiah. The Messiah has come. The Son of God has come. So worship is no longer about the temple. It's no longer about Jerusalem. No longer sacrificing animals. Now the Messiah has come. He's brought in the new era of grace of the Holy Spirit. So we worship the Father through the Son. He's our great high priest. We worship the Father through the Son in the Spirit and truth. God's presence is with us. He's not confined to a temple. He's in the people of God through his Holy Spirit. So no matter the obstacle, God will guide his church home. And one day we'll reach the new heavens and the new earth. There'll be no more risks, no more inner struggles with sin. But until then, until then, as God's house, we will follow Jesus all the way home. Let's pray. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.